Brandon. Yeah. You're in fifth grade. Okay. You're getting ready for school. Okay. What does your ideal day look like? Got you it. Wake up. What's happening? Easy. Uh, get up. My mom has made me a really nice breakfast because she's very kind. And uh, you know what? I don't have to catch the bus today because uh, my mom's going to take me in. So I don't have to worry about going down and catching being the first. I was the first one on our bus route in fifth grade. So I had like an over an hour long bus ride. Ew. Yeah, it was no one way? fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was very long. We lived and we didn't even live the farthest out from the school. We were the second farthest out. It just made the most sense because of where we were on the side of the road and blah, blah, blah. So I get picked up uh, or I get t- dropped off and go in and... On this day, it's a relatively normal day with the exception that I was one of the children in fifth grade allowed to run the concession stands that would sometimes exist because I was in the not to brag gifted and talented program. For some reason, that meant I was allowed to be one of three students every like once a week to run the concession stands and uh, made you feel real popular. I would also be on that day one of the students that was allowed and requested of them to go and pick up the uh, attendance sheets from each classroom throughout the entire elementary school. Um, and I'll go ahead and just throw on a sprinkle on the top. This was one of the days uh, where they decided who would be the winners of the anti-smoking calendar. Um, what? Yeah, there was an anti-smoking calendar where, you know what, I actually don't think it was a calendar. I think it was just like first, second, and third place. No, 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 it was first place and there was three homerooms. And so I won for my homeroom, the first place art contest for my anti-smoking picture. I like to imagine it's like your aunt smoking. Ha 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 ha, it was not far off from that. I stole a joke from a commercial I saw on Animal Planet's World's Funniest Animal videos or whatever it was called, where it was a commercial where it showed a bunch of animal butts and at the end, it said, of all the butts in the world, this is the ugliest. So I just drew a picture of a cigarette, and I made that the what it said around it. And uh, that won me first place. So this is in real life. This isn't just in your, like, fantasy well, best day. Yeah. like I'm, But it would also be a part of your best day. Yeah, if I was combining all these elements. So basically, I wouldn't really have to do any schoolwork. I would get to walk around the whole school and pick up all the attendance slips. And then I would also... Um, win a prize. Hell yeah, baby. What about you? What would be your ideal fifth grade day? Okay. I like where your head's at as far as the bus. Um, except by that time, I, I believe I had friends on the bus. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. So Uh, really rub that in my face. (laughs) So I think what would happen is the bus is late this morning. Okay. So that means I'm not late. Okay. And um, I have plenty of time at the end of the... It's a beautiful day outside. Okay. So it feels really good to stand and wait for the bus. Gotcha. And I have plenty of time at the end of my driveway to corral the roly-polies into a race. Mm. And we do that. And then I get on the bus and my best friend's there. 
and uh, we we let me let me just scroll through the rolodex of the many cool activities we did on the bus. Mm-hmm. We make up a really good Weird Al style parody song on the bus. And when we get to school, our whole bus is late. So we're all late to class. And because we're already late, we decide to just take our time getting to class because they've already made the announcement overhead to excuse our tardies because it was the bus. And so we like stroll down the hall and talk and no teachers come out and tell us to be quiet. Yeah, that that would be ideal. That'd be my ideal morning getting to fifth grade. Well, hello, everybody. You can obviously tell that this is The Bargain Den. It's your weekly source of financial advice in the form of us watching movies and telling you whether or not you should watch them or if they're frugal. Normally, that's what we do, but now it's our special segment, The Bargain Den. At night. My name is Brandon. My name is Donna. We're going through the entire directorial work of the one night M. Night Shum. <laughs> the one, the, the one, one night M. Night Shumalan. <laughs> and uh, we are coming towards the end here. We've got uh, two stops left to make, this one and one more. And, um, yeah, so we're going to be spoiling 1998's Wide Awake. Now, this is not really considered largely to be in the canon of the M. Night universe. Most people do not typically speak of this one. It kind of goes right along with Praying with Anger in that it is before The Sixth Sense. There's really those two that nobody, not a lot of people I feel like talk about. I don't hear a lot lot of discussion revolving these, but... Um, yeah, Donna, do you want to kick things off and tell us what, uh, Wide Awake is all about? Wide Awake is all about a boy. His name Joshua is Joshua A. Beal. Joshua A. Beal. He lives in Pennsylvania and he goes to Catholic school for boys. Don't laugh. Yeah. Joshua <laughs> requested at the start of this that we, once he said that, he said, don't laugh. And I said, I wasn't going to Joshua. And then I laughed so hard. He did. <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah, Joshua is trying to uh, process the death of his grandfather. His grandfather died very recently and they were very close, the two of them. So this is very tough on Joshua. And as he goes to school and deals with, you know, nuns and bullies and stuff, he decides he's going to look for God because his grandfather believed in God and uh, see if he can find God to make sure that his grandpa is okay. And really the film is following uh, the story of Joshua trying to determine whether or not God is really there as he's living life in this Catholic school over the course of his fifth grade school year. And along the way, he has many bumps and trials to whether or not he needs to continue to pursue his faith as a fifth grader, uh, ultimately leading him to realize that he was seeing the beauty in between the lines of existence and, and God's real. Part of the, um, I, I feel like we got to get a little bit into the somewhat of how he got there, right? Um, I mean, yeah, we can. He's I, got his best friend, Dave. Yeah. Dave, it turns out, has epilepsy, but no one knew that. We just knew he had headaches and stuff. And then um, by what Dave sees as a miracle, Joshua stops by his house after school one day that he's absent and finds him after his first seizure and 
And so he's able to get to the hospital and get treated. And Dave sees that as a sign. So he tells Joseph to keep on his search because at that time, Joseph had kind of given up. Um, so there's a lot of ups and downs like that, you know, moments where it's like, yeah, God's not real. And then like, well, maybe this is worth the search. And uh, as as Brandon said, it culminates in the decision that like, yeah, he's, he's you know, something's going on because you know there's there's more happening and i I think we should say that also there is a twist in this film that um there is a little boy that kind of looks like joshua that is present throughout the film turns out that that was either god or an angel not he wasn't really there right right um yeah but that was wide awake um it, it was kind of one of those movies where there wasn't like a like heavily like plot in the sense of like you know rising action falling action it was just kind of the series of events that happened so um, it's just this kid's fifth grade year yeah um so what do you think of this movie donna i think that it is a movie what do you think brandon (laughs) okay uh i actually like this one quite a bit i thought it was uh very cute you described it as one of the most 90 ass movie 90s ass movies you had ever seen this 90s ass movie rolling up in here with all its 90s shit it really felt like the 90s i mean it wasn't heavily like you know look at our Ooh, we're the 90s yeah just looked like it was from the 90s it's kind of hard to explain but i feel like it also did a lot of 90s things yeah. Like, okay, at the very end, there was that moment where they're doing their end of year announcements and we'd already had all the sweet things happen. And so it was like, here's some funny things. Right. And they're like, and then, you know, this character is going to do this. Remember this character? Remember? <laughs> <laughs> and then like, oh, and then the coach kicks the ball and hits an old granny nun. <laughs> ah, freeze frame on her face. And like, because it's a callback to earlier when another character did that. <laughs> um, it just felt very 90s for those instances. Um, Let's see what some other people have to say about this movie. <gasps> Box, 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 boxed in. Not super heavily liked. It looks like it's got a 2.4 on letterboxed, so. Out of five? Yes. Um, it's almost 50%. Megan says one and a half star. Um, I most certainly was not wide awake. <laughs> I get it. Like, snore. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we'll go with uh, Houstonian recently reviewed the film and gave it three and a half stars and said, get owned haters. Even this one has an insane plot twist. So twisty, twisty, getting the stars for the twist. Um, lastly, we'll give uh, Chad Wynn here a shout out, gave it one and a half stars and said, how did M night direct the sixth synth only one year after this? Literally what happened in that one year? Like actually, how did it go from this to a masterpiece one year later? I need answers. Also, what the fuck is up with this poster? Did the person who designed it not even watch the movie? Not only does baseball almost have almost nothing to do with it, but these two characters barely interact the entire film. I agree. Uh, for the listening audience, if you haven't seen the poster, it has our main character, Joshua A. Beal, standing atop a stack of, I suppose, religious texts. I can't really tell. It kind of looks like they're maybe like thesauruses. Um, I don't know. But regardless... Uh, standing on top of them, 
and is uh, standing next to Rosie O'Donnell's character, who plays uh, Sister Something. Um, and uh, yeah, they didn't really have major major interactions. Oh, he's standing on top of the Encyclopedia Britannica, it looks like. Rosie O'Donnell plays Sister Terry. Yeah, and it kind of seems like she was like a big point in this, like in terms of marketing, but she really didn't play all that big of a role. Um, she was very popular at this time, so I think... Again, that, I feel like that's part of the... This is super 90s. Right. Um, like, here's Rosie O'Donnell. Honestly, there was... because... There was a much more... Uh, focus on Joshua's father played by a younger Dennis Leary, uh, which was interesting too. Um, I don't know. Like this is so interesting because I think largely what it feels like is nothing. I mean, I think really the sixth sense is probably the closest just in terms of like the look and like the nineties kind of feel of it, but it is like nothing in M night's work. Um, <laughs> like it is, it is a, it, it is so clearly in between praying with anger and the sixth sense in that it's, got a twist it deals with religion but it's not a horror film in any regard just kind of like a weird a weird pinprick of unlike anything unlike anything else of m nights see i feel like it's actually the perfect bridge between those two movies yeah that's what i was kind of saying because it's like, like yeah the the praying with anger kind of it also has those like moments yeah um and then this one feels like it plays into that, like, oh well, let's let's make these younger kids and um, an equally heavy topic, but we're gonna approach it from a lighter stance. And then like the twist is this kid's not there, and mm-hmm. I just I can see how like it transitions perfectly from the beginning of the movie with like I'm gonna find God because someone I love has died, and I'm really fucked up about it, and then to the end being like the kid was never there and I can see dead people. And there we are, you know, fifth grader, fourth, whatever, how old he is seeing dead people, seeing angels. We're, we're getting there, you know, like here to there. Right. It looks like this thing bombed at the box office. Uh, the estimated budget according to IMDb is $6 million, which feels a little high. For what it was, I, I don't they know. They had Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, but still six million and ninety-eight. I don't know. Its worldwide gross was just over a quarter of a million. So. Oh no. Yeah. Did not. Uh oh. Uh oh. Um, but it kind of seems like looking here at some uh, thrifty trivia. Um, thrifty trivia. Thank you. Um, although released in ninety-eight, the film was actually shot in ninety-five. Additionally, the film's copyright date in the credits is listed as 97, indicating that post-production work had not been completed until then. That's a long time for a movie to be in post um, for this. And uh, also here, due to the heavy-handed post-production influence of Harvey Weinstein, (gasps) this film appears on a 2017 list in The Telegraph entitled Harvey Scissorhands, Six Films Ruined by Harvey Weinstein. Wow, maybe uh, that explains some of this. Yeah, lastly here on that same note. Uh, I, I just, I have to say, I kind of actually love to imagine that Harvey Weinstein was the guy who was like, we should bring back that ball kicking thing. That was funny. Make him hit a nun. Maybe. Um, lastly here on that note, though, M. Knight has said that he cried on set while making this movie after Weinstein yelled it, yelled some harsh words at him. 
Um, yeah. So, Poor guy. So if you didn't have any other reason to say, you know, fuck Harvey Weinstein, um, mm. there's, there's your reasoning. Um, reason number 507. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting because that's, it's, I'm sorry. Can we just hang out there for sure. a second? That's really sad. I really hate picturing like this dude on set making his movie. It's his first like theater release movie. Like I didn't get the impression that praying with anger got right. to theaters. That was kind of a personal thing. Right. And so you're like starting your career with this movie and this man who holds the key to like the industry starts yelling at you in front of all the people that you're supposed to be directing. Like, I would also cry. I am so sorry, Mr. M. Night Shyamalan. I'm so sorry. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I think Harvey uh, eventually kind of got his comeuppance, it looks like. Um, Not enough of it, if you ask me. Interesting. I didn't know M. Night was not a producer on The Sixth Sense. Gasp. Gasp. Maybe he didn't have enough money? Maybe. I was going to check and see if... Uh, Weinstein ended up producing that one as well. I feel like it's a Miramax. Um, pulling that up here. Not that it it's really It's a mattered. Miramax. It's a Miramax. Um, just because I think it'd be interesting if he had such disdain and uh, over overwork in the that department that he uh, went back and was like, all right, make another one. You know, he was not. He was not a producer on... Uh, on the sixth sense. So kind of, um, M Knight also was not a producer on wide awake. Oh, so he's, it's yeah. Even more out of the, uh, out of that world of that sense. Interesting too. Harvey Weinstein is even listed on wide awake as an executive producer. So he can really go fuck himself. He's not even a main producer on this. He was just being, being a dick. Stop like, being a dick. Harvey, get out of here. Yeah, go to jail forever. Bob Weinstein is also listed in this, yeah, which I can only imagine brother. is some nepotism. Sure, I mean, yeah, they're they're the wine. There was a there was a production company, the Weinstein Company. Like, they're, yeah, they're they're all they were all up in a bunch of business. Um, they were all up in a bunch of business. I just want to say that because it sounded fun to say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I think this film has a lot of successful moments, though. Like it, it was touching. And, I mean, it both made both of us uh, tear up and. Um, really sweet. And I think it, it really did a good job of kind of being concerning. I was concerned for Joshua's character, uh, going through this religious crisis in fifth grade. And you could see that in everybody's, everybody in his life was concerned for him, but it was still told with the levity of a film following a child. And I, I just enjoyed the balance of that where Joshua was like, you know, I did what I could do. I tried fasting and I was meditating and it's like, ha ha ha. But it was realistic and that like his friends and family, well, they weren't not supportive. They were all supportive of him and trying to find God. They were just worried that he was losing grip. I mean, and there's one scene in particular. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And, and it, it, I think, I think in that way, in this way, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of shows some early signs of M Knight's um, skill is that, there's one shot in particular where Joshua is sitting in his grandfather's chair, holding his grandfather, his dead grandfather's uh, flannel coat, crying in his pajamas because he is he's having such a hard time going through this process and trying to find his faith. 
And, and there's just something about it. And he has this memory of one of his last memories with his grandfather. And it, it's, you know, I, I don't know. It, I just really saw in that moment, a young mind really grappling with this challenging subject matter. And it's sweet looking like a Christmas movie, but also I felt the weight of that moment for this character. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, hats off to M night for really, really doing that this early on. I think it was, I, I felt it a triumph. I mean, it was far from a perfect film, but I, I enjoyed some of those aspects of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was really sweet and touching. And I think that's part of why I have a hard time making a final, like just say on this and how I felt about it. Cause it's, it was really sweet. And I thought it was really well done, but I'm also kind of like mad at it for getting me so much. And I do feel like there's parts of it that feel like gratuitous of like, well, this will make it a Hollywood movie, Mm. Um, which now that I know of of Weinstein's involvement, I'm going to just blame it all on him because that's easier to compartmentalize in my brain. And that way I can preserve my love of M. Night Shyamalan. You know, and another thing too, in that same vein, um, I feel like you started to say this before we started recording and, and if not, I apologize, kind of felt some of it was maybe not earned. Was that kind of a sentiment you had a little bit? Yeah. Like it, it feels like there's a lot earned there that wasn't capitalized on. Mm-hmm. And there were other things that were not earned that were heavily capitalized on. Well, um, and it's hard, like I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with even examples of that. Well, and what, because what I was thinking about that just now is like how, um, how I think M. Night really wanted to just capture a day in the life of a young person kind of having a religious crisis and in doing so just showing little moments in life. And I think that's where that comes from is the heavy handed, you know, producer aspect of it, like you've just said. But I think back, you know, there was a moment early on until nearly the end where I was like, I don't know what this movie is going for. I didn't know what it was about. I couldn't tell. And because there's not this like building of action, there's not the, the, the typical, you know, storyline structure. It felt like there is like buried under there, but like, I mean, every time something would happen, I'd be like, Oh, this is what the movie's about. You know, you know, he notices the girls Catholic school across the street or whatever. And I was like, okay, it's going to be his love interest. And then that is kind of forgotten about. And then he joins the football team and that's kind of forgotten about. And it's like, you know, his friend is like, you know, telling him that he doesn't really believe in God. And I was like, okay, you know, he's going to have a falling out because of his religious like disagreements with him. And that kind of happens, but not fully. And like, it's all of these things, like you said, it kind of just like, it felt like it was building up to it and then kind of let it go. And then it felt like it was building up to it. And it was like, you know, they were heavy hitting and some of them did come back and kind of, kind of play out. But like, it's, it was just very much a, it's a hard film to follow, especially if you don't know much about it, which we did not going into it. You know, I guess that's really the crux of it. And thank you for helping my brain get there is that it's a slice of life film where the through line is this kid dealing with grief and trying to find God and meaning in it all. And there, there really isn't a big overarching plot, which is fine because you don't need one, 
but it feels like it was Hollywoodified where they were like, yeah, but if we'll, we'll bandaid it with these things and make it feel more like a Hollywood film and then it'll do better. And I think it kind of had the opposite effect. Whereas if you just lean into like, this isn't a traditional movie with, you know, a beginning, middle, end, rising, falling, action, climax. Like, it's just things will happen and we're on a journey together. I think it might have, I don't know. At the same time, I kind of loved the hokey stuff and the the dead ends and the, I don't know. You know, I want to posit something here with this. I want to say, because it really kind of felt like, you know, M. Night was trying to make another film like Praying with Anger with this movie, as in a single person's experience going through a religious crisis, um, a crisis of life and meaning and understanding, which is very much what M. Night's character went through in Praying with Anger. And I think it's because of that film he was able to make Wide Awake because of Praying with Anger. And then there was this heavy, heavy Hollywood influence on this film. And I'm wondering if it's the marriage of those two that helped M night eventually get to the sixth sense. Um, because it is, you know, it's Harold Harold is like a classic Hollywood film is the sixth sense. And in that way, I'm like, I'm wondering if that kind of helped M night in some way, you know, while he didn't maybe get to tell the story he wanted to with wide awake, he was kind of brought into kind of like pushed into the stream that is, you know, traditional storytelling, so much so as what is popular and hitting in Hollywood, especially in the 90s. And that just kind of made this marriage of the start of who M. Night is today. Mm. And, and you know, also, too, I think where we're getting now with newer M. Night movies is he's kind of, he's got his own style where it's he, he you know, I think is kind of pushed back against what Hollywood, quote unquote, you know, that's just the standard. If you're not from the United States, that I, I don't mean to disparage, you know, that's not the standard with which the world weighs its, you know, opinion on, but that's just in my vernacular is Hollywood films. But like, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that that probably played a heavy hand because I mean, and we see this later too with, you know, outside influence in, uh, uh, you know, Avatar and in, uh, sorry, the last airbender and in after earth. And some of the films before that as well, it's why he eventually put up the money mostly himself to make the visit. And like, I don't know. I just think that like so much of what it makes M night M night is his relationship to movies in general. And I just, I, I don't know. I think that maybe this is like part of the start of that. Like he made praying with anger on his own. It seems like largely like I'm sure he had help with producers and whatnot, but like, that feels like a young M night making his story, his movie. And then he goes to bat and does it again and gets kind of toppled by big Hollywood. And then since then that's just been his relationship is, is finding that balance between the stories he with himself wants to tell like lady in the water and what, you know, bigger, bigger players in the, the industry, uh, a la Will Smith or Nickelodeon want him to do. And it's this back and forth that he always kind of gives and takes. That was my TED talk. Thank you. Yeah, that was very nice. Thank you for sharing. Well, um, <laughs> I'm currently trying to figure out if M. Night appeared in this movie at all. Like if we missed him. I don't think he did. Um, I feel like I remember this being one of the ones listed as lacking in M. Night. 
You know what's weird, though, is looking at his acting credits and being like, why was he in this movie? He didn't direct that. Uh, okay, he was not in Wide Awake, Wait, but, but you know what he was in? What's that? Entourage? Yeah, and Servant. Yeah, he directed Servant, though. Oh, okay. He directed that episode. Okay. Did he direct the episode of Entourage? Uh, I don't know. Check and see. That might be his only actor credit then that he did not direct himself for. I think this is us. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he was. Um, let me let me see. Apparently, this is the rabbit hole I decided to die in. Apparently, nope. He did not direct either of those. In Terrasante. Bum, bada, bum, 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 bum. All right. So I, I'd like to go through the M. Night style quiz. Yeah. This does take place in the Northeast. It does not have an M. Night cameo or actorship. It has two out of the three of the M. Night title trifecta. So I'll give that a no. A halfway half and half we're at like 1.5 v 1.5 um it does star a child it is all about this child and his parents don't they're not having any problems though they seem totally happy and fine in their marriage it, the whole family is fairly cohesive this really is just about this boy dealing with his own inner turmoil what else are we missing oh awkward dialogue I'd say this does not have awkward dialogue, not particularly. Like the the thing that stuck out to me is that these fifth graders are talking very maturely about very heavy topics, but it did not come across as awkward to me. Um, maybe just a little ironic or funny, but it was like I always appreciate a movie that gives kids their proper dues you know what i mean like kids in fifth grade are capable of having intense introspective thoughts about god um i mean I, i'm kind of like a little bit i feel like on the fence because i want to say like i feel like i allotted this movie because it gave them kind of an unnaturally mature tone about them but i also feel like it recognized that yes. it was aware of that i will say that i don't i don't think it's tone because i think that's what you're saying is that children are able to have tonal conversations like that. It's just the way that with their cadence it was like a little bit too mature. But again, it does right. recognize that I, I agree completely. I like, like that seems like part of what's giving all the adults around him red flags is like, mm, you're too young for this. Yeah. Hang which, on. And it made it made it funny to me and like kind of endearing and like made it to where you look past that of like weirdness. That's like, kids wouldn't be saying things in this articulative a manner. It's like, well, they're not, these kids are not supposed to. We're using this as a vehicle. Sorry. I just, I, yeah, that I wanted to. Yeah. Well, and there's also like the end of the school year essay where they say the title of the movie. Um, we start with another kid in class whose essay is, you know, I liked this and I liked the new lemonade cause the old lemonade sucked, you know, like, it very like almost dumbed down fifth grader, like a caricature of a fifth grader. And then you get to 
Joshua and his essay is like way too good, like way too good. And it's almost a caricature of uh, an advanced fifth grader, you know, like, and I, I just appreciate that it pointed that out a little bit. Like you could paint a kid however you want, really, because um, it also kind of pays homage to like, do you even remember what it was like to be a fifth grader? Like, do you? Like he goes to the toy store with his mom and he has a, a revelation. I love that so much. It happened like four times and they were perfect words to do that to. Um, and he realizes that all the toys there are just plastic and paint. And it, the store loses some of its magic every single year. And it was just very poignant, but also like he mentions... You know, when I have a son and I bring him here, will I remember what the magic is? And I, I thought that was very sweet because I also, it's a bit, it's a bit heavy for a fifth grader, but I do believe that a fifth grader is capable of having these thoughts, you know, like I think, I think if you were to go back and examine something personal that you wrote in fifth grade, I think you could see some of that conflict because, I mean, when you think about it, that's the cusp of middle school. You're growing and becoming a different person, especially if you've just experienced death for the first time in your life. Like that's a big change that forces a level of maturity. So thank you, M. Knight, for giving kids the ability to be functioning human beings. You know, and I think that's a perfect way of putting it is giving them the ability. I think that that's because, you know, at that age, you don't really have the voice to express those things. And uh, and so that's what I think this kind of movie did. Um, that's a good way of putting it. Um, well, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Do you want to thank some people? Oh, I should just say, as far as the M. Night style, this is important. We started yeah, 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 just yeah. to wrap it up because I went on tangent. We had more points in the category of not typical M. Night behavior. So I'd say that this is not necessarily in the M. Night um, canon. canon. However, I think, Brandon, you had mentioned that this might be one of your favorite M. Nights. Well, I mean, definitely not like top, top by any any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this doesn't hold a candle to split or anything like that. It, it I like it in the same way that I like certain movies from the mid to late 90s. In that it, I think it's in like that nostalgia vein of like, you just kind of are like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just, it was a non-traditionally told story that I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought it was sweet. I really think that's the only way I can put it is it's just a sweet movie. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's nice. I, I agree. It was, it was worth the watch. Don't know that I'd go and watch it again, Nope. but I had a good time and I'm glad I watched it. Well, now do you want to thank some people? Yes. Uh, speaking of being glad I watched it, I hope you, listener, are glad that you listened because we're glad that you did. And I hope that you tell a friend about it if you enjoyed our show. I also want to thank Sarah Anastasia for the use of their art. And I want to thank the Lounge Kittens for the use of their music. They did the cover of Dirty Deeds that you hear on the intro and outro of our episodes. I'd also like to thank 
anchor.fm for hosting our podcast and sending it to your preferred podcast platform. And I'd also like to thank our bargainer. Brandon, who's our bargainer this week? Our bargainer is Jack3245. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. You too could become our bargainer if you log on to iTunes Podcast and go leave us a review, letting us know what you think about the show, and we'll read it here on the show and name you the bargainer. Alternatively, you could go and leave a review on another website. Just send us an email to thebargaindincast at gmail.com, letting us know, because we can't check all those other ding-dang websites. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do that if it's on iTunes, but anywhere else. And we'll, uh, we'll deem you that way. Yeah. I got kicked off of all the other websites. Yep. Don is not allowed on anything except for iTunes and Gmail. Yep. Thank you everybody for listening. I miss my Neopet and I think they're dying. Oh, oh, you didn't get the, the email. What, what do you, oh, Oh, no, Brandon. Oh no. No. Oh gosh. My Neopet. Look, we'll um, wait. You haven't been feeding it for me. We'll talk about it after the show. Oh, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week. My name is Brandon. My name is Donna. Pinch those pennies and stay frugal. M night could even odd out. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yeah, what? You know what? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. This bit's going away anyway, so it's fine. But you ain't got the guts She keeps nagging at you not